The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. No mai hoki mai ki a The Fold e mihin nei ko Duncan Grieve talking uh, My guest this week is uh, Emily Wrights who is a writer, close in the name. Uh, she, you know, she's written a play, she's written multiple books, she, she's a speaker, and she's someone I've, I've known quite a long time now. She's one of the first people I reached out to after starting the spin-off because I just thought she had this sort of electric quality to her writing that seemed to sort of, I don't know, it, it felt new, it felt fresh, it felt wildly engaging, and that had a bunch of good and bad consequences for her which we talk about on this podcast but with Emily the whole time I've known her because she's an opinion writer a writer which is tends to be a craft that you know you either do alongside journalism or you do as a sort of a once a week thing um in addition to your day job and that that meant you know for her she was in that latter category she's not a sort of not a natural journalist um, though she can do it and do it very well but so she would tend to have a some kind of comms related part-time job while also be writing for a living and the tension of that plus the fact that as a writer she was so public uh, that she would just attract a a lot of uh, unwanted attention online in a way that I think made her life, her mental health pretty, pretty tough at times. Um, And that sort of seemed for a long time like an unsolvable tension. And then Substack came along and we actually started a Substack kind of almost as a, as a collaboration between her and and the spinoff and, and it worked well enough, but, and, and the, and I, cause I always thought like Emily is just how, personal and intimate her writing is the the force of it how much how strongly her fans feel about her and the sense of community that that she encourages it seemed like she was a natural for this new company and it also seemed a way of cutting off all of the negative attention like the you know something going viral on facebook you know sounds like a good thing it's actually a horrible thing to to experience but anyway we started this newsletter it ended up feeling like it was you know the tension between it being half the spinoff and half her just wasn't really solvable. So we ended up just um, kind of gifting it to her. And, and not long after, Hamish McKenzie, who has also been a guest on the fold and is a co-founder of Substack, um, you know, this sort of paid newsletter platform, approached her and offered her a Substack Pro deal, which was basically where they pay you enough to live on for a year to see if you know if it works for you and and the idea is that by the end of a year doing it full time it should actually be a full time living and basically we're we're now at being on a year since she um signed her Substack Pro deal and spoiler alert it's working and that's basically what this podcast is about is 
is how that process has gone for her and how her life's changed as a result. And honestly, it's a real cozy, uplifting one. So um, I hope you enjoy it. The folders, as ever, brought to you by Vodafone, the world-class technology, uh, network technology that the spin-off sits on top of and and helps us function every day. Uh, So if you run a business and you need uh, some internet, and you definitely do, uh, go to vodafone.co.nz. This is Emily Wright on the fold. Kia ora, Emily, and uh, welcome to the fold. Kia ora, it's so nice to be on the fold. Um, oh, it's so good to see you, it's been been, been too long, um, and crazy to think that it's uh, pretty much bang on a year ago that we went for that, that walk around uh, the Botanical <laughs> Gardens, and you told me about that you were, you were going to try and do the Substack thing full time. Yeah, yeah. And we got photographed by um, somebody and it looked like we were a celebrity couple breaking up. (laughs) (laughs) It was great. It definitely had that quality. Um, So so you were one of the very early, I think maybe the first New Zealand Substack Pro deal, which is where they basically give you a year's worth of income and you can see if you can make this thing work. So the whole time you must have thought, well, at the end of this year, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But I just uh, tell, tell me how it's gone and, and whether it whether it's worked out for you. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I think so March 2020 was when we actually set up the newsletter. And I remember you saying, I want, you know, I think you should do a newsletter. And I thought you were crazy. And I was like, that will never work. And I think that, again, when Hamish from Substack approached me and said, look, we really think that your newsletter could work if you did it full time. I thought, again, oh, this is not going to work. And I think I told you that at the time I... I really didn't have a lot of faith in being able to earn enough money doing an like doing a newsletter. It just didn't seem like a New Zealand thing to do. Um, and but it was really my husband who was like, "I really think you need to do this." You know, I think you're just having a crisis of confidence. And I, you know, he was like, "When it comes down to it, they wouldn't like approach you if they didn't think it was going to work." And um, so I went into it really not thinking it would work. And I was really surprised that about three months into it, I went, oh, okay, cool. I can, you know, the pressure is off. Um, I really worked out about three months into doing it full time that, oh yeah, this is going to be something I can do full time. So, um, yeah, I like now earn enough money doing the newsletter. (laughs) to to be a writer full time, which is just the wildest thing because I've been doing this for like seven years and I've been doing it mostly like free or on a column like per article or like just a bit each week to do a column and it's just never been enough to like live on. So yeah, Substack's kind of changed my life. Oh, that's so that's so cool to hear. I know I want to sort of return and drill into that in a bit, but um, maybe just just to kind of back up a bit, like what what is the proposition to the, to readers? I what is the thing that they are buying when they um when they get a subscription to Emily Wright's Weekly? Yeah, so um, at the beginning, like I, my whole approach with the newsletter has changed so much when I started and um. March 2020 it was 
kind of, I had like a template and I was like, oh, I'm going to do this and all this. And then like very quickly, I just found that that just didn't work for me. Like the way that you, we were being told to do newsletters just did not work for me. Like I'm somebody who writes big, long, rambly, you know, things that go in all sorts of tangents, but often they're like a thousand words or something. And everyone keeps saying, nobody wants to read a newsletter. That's a thousand words. But I found it so hard to stick to these short little pieces. So I eventually just kind of went rogue and did my own thing, which was once or twice a week, I would write these big, long sort of rambly columns um, that would sometimes then be published in other places, but were always published on Emily Wright's Weekly First. And then with the Substack deal, they were like, you have to write three times a week, you know? And I was like, who on earth wants to hear from somebody three times a week? Like, it just sounded absolutely insane to me. Like, I thought there's nobody I like enough that I want to hear three times a week. Um, But as it turns out, it has been kind of the magic number. So like I have... If you sign up, you get three newsletters from me a week. Um, and one is Friday Night Chats, which is really popular, which is like a, a string of like links and what I'm watching and reading. And we all kind of share what we're watching and reading. It's more of a community vibe on a Friday. And then honestly, who knows what you'll fucking get on a Monday and Wednesday. Like it'll be whatever weird stuff is in my head. So that's what you get. You get like me. I guess, yeah, <laughs> three, yeah. three times a week. <laughs> that, that community thing feels really interesting to me in the sense that, like, I'm sure that that is a big part of what's valuable, what turns people from being a, a casual subscriber, you know, who gets the free version to someone who's willing to pay for it, is that it's uh, this place where you can, you know, get access to you and to, to people who, who strongly identify with you to have a, a place on the internet that isn't like what the rest of the internet's become. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, totally. I mean, I have to say my biggest, like, the biggest sort of advertiser, I guess, for my um, blog, is, for my newsletter, is actually Facebook because Facebook is such a toxic hellhole that people are desperate to leave it. And so when you say to them, oh, hey, you can come over here and we're like talking about, you know, chimpanzees fighting each other or like what our kids are doing this week or like any of those things. It's like, I think that more than ever, people have left Facebook and they want to find somewhere else. That's like the sort of the good old days of blogging. And that's what I feel like Substack is. Like we... On Friday night chats, we're like talking about TV shows and like just this, it's kind of like an old Facebook group without all the drama. Like nobody wants to have drama. We're all tired. We all just want to like talk about bullshit. And so in a way, I can thank Mark Zuckerberg for being such a fucking creep for how good my career's gone. It's really interesting because what you just described and you you later picked up on it was like that is Facebook's vision of itself, you know, and yet <laughs> the product has singularly failed to do that and seems to be sort of collapsing in on itself in terms of the just because it's got this out of control algorithm that the only people whose voices you hear are the angry ones remonstrating with you and that creates a spiral where more people leave to find alternate communities and one of them is yours. Because I've known you for a while, like I know that, that you basically 
always had multiple jobs and there was always some kind of comms job, which was the sort of core of it that always seemed <laughs> kind of some degree of horrible. And um, so, you know, just for, for, for you as a, as a person, as a, you know, as, as a friend, as a mother, as a whole bunch of all of the different identities you have to, to carry, um, how has having a much more sort of singular and, and distilled work life um, impacted your general sense of, of self and well-being? Oh, it, I can't even put into words. It's been so incredible. Like one of the things was when Hamish approached me and said, you need to do this full time, I was like, yeah, sure. Like we would all love to like write full time and not have, you know, like I'm not a journalist, so I can't have that kind of newsroom-ish job. I'm like a columnist or opinion writer. So it's actually really hard to have full-time work when that's your style of writing. And I think um, I was like to him, I have children. I can't just, you know, like risk my whole income. You know, my husband's a teacher. We're not like, yeah. And, um, but I, my husband was like, we keep saying, like, it was literally every year we'd be like, do you keep writing or not? We were constantly at this crossroads of, are you going to keep, like, destroying yourself by having all these jobs um, just so you can keep writing? Or are you going to quit and have one well-paid comms job, you know? Um, and so finally this did feel like this moment for our family where it was like, shit, or get off the pot, basically, because it was like give up all that other stuff and just focus on writing for one year. And if you can't do it, that's the end of your writing. Like we made an agreement and we were like, this is what we're going to do. And um, to now be in this place, it's so, you know, it makes me like real emotional. It's been like really validating to know that all this time that I really put my family through it a bit. Like there were a lot of times where I was like, oh man, if I just had a normal job, I could pay for your swimming lessons, you know? And now finally I'm in this place where it's like, oh wow, I can provide for my family doing what I absolutely love and doing work that I do think is important. So it's been like a, a total like game changer, not just for me, but my whole family. Like my kids don't have to deal with me on the laptop in the evenings. They get more time with me. My husband doesn't have me being ready all the time about assholes on the internet, you know. Like, I, I just feel so much more at peace and so much better. And also, I wrote my third book. I've been working on my third book for, like, oh, my gosh, since, like, 2018 or something like that. And I finished it in this year that I was doing Substack. So I, if, it, if not for Substack in the newsletter, I wouldn't have written the book. So yeah, it's pretty. And I've been able to do so much more of my charity work that I love, you know, that really fills my cup. So it's, yeah, it's been amazing. It does sound really adult. And I, I want to talk a little bit about the, the book um, in, in a bit, but there was this huge swing of writers to Substack when it first emerged, especially around the time they did those pro deals. And then there was something, I mean, and we'll talk shortly about some of the tensions around Substack in the sort of platform publisher area. But one thing that, you know, the there was this kind of idea that everyone could be their, be their own boss and, and so on. And for some people, 
you know, you've seen a sort of a rebundling where some of the kind of the Substack writers went and you know were bought by the Atlantic or or the New York Times or whatever, and it, it doesn't suit everyone, right? Like there there is a sense of when you're your own boss, you have to keep writing maybe forever like how does um you know do you do you feel that weight that or like the like or, or that tension between the the pressure of always having to fill you know the 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 collar the you know the newsletter versus the freedom to set your own hours and own subjects and and so on how do, how do you sort of where do you sit on with all that yeah i mean i think that it's there has been a lot of people who've gone to Substack being like, I'm really successful in journalism, like in mainstream media stuff, so I will be the same in Substack, and that hasn't worked for them. And I've known a lot of people being like, oh, my gosh, I'm doing all this writing, and I've got, like, 100 subscribers, and they feel, like, terrified that they're trapped in this place. And that's, like, really... That's really true because Substack is like any business. They're talking about the ones making money. They're not talking about the ones who are stuck trying to, you know, give to subscribers when they have very low subscriber bases. So I've had a lot of people calling me and saying, um, how do I get my subscribers up and all that? And I don't know what the answer is, but I do know that this is a job where you have to fucking hustle 24-7. And I'm a hustler from way back, so it suits my personality. Like I, you know, the hard thing about the newsletter, I would say the hardest thing isn't coming up with content because I have this real ADHD brain that's constantly like thinking of random stuff to write about. I think that the issue is you have to be fucking vulnerable and that's really hard for people, particularly New Zealanders. Like I have to say to people, oh, look, this is awkward, but I really need you to pay to read my stuff. Like, this is my income. And if you don't pay, I can't keep doing it. And it sucks and it's awkward. And New Zealanders hate that. Like, you know, it used to be this thing where my publisher was like, don't ever let Emily talk about her book because she'll be like, oh, buy it if you want or don't want, Mm -hmm. I don't mind. You know, because it's this classic New Zealander thing. We just don't know how to say hey, please value the work that we do. And I've got, and Substack has made me get better at that. But I've straight up talked to people on who have newsletters who've been like, I've said, have you told your readers that this is your income? And they're like, oh, no, that's private. And I'm like, if you don't tell them, they they will just view you as stuff or any of those other places. Like, not that you don't, you should definitely pay for, like, mainstream media but we know that people don't Mm. and so you know that when people were leaving Substack like Charlie and the Atlantic is a really good Galaxy Brain um I was one of the first subscribers to Galaxy Brain I think the very first one he did I was so excited about it and I was really shocked when he quit but when I read what he said I thought holy shit like I had more subscribers than that guy and I think that the reason was was he didn't do enough of I need you to pay for this because he talked a lot about having thousands and thousands and thousands of free subscribers and it's like that's awesome but if none of them are paying you can't keep doing it and so you do have to put yourself in this vulnerable position of saying please pay for this stuff you know like um, I think a lot of people get 
free substacks and that's cool and that's what it's there for. Um, but I think as well it's trying to get people to switch over to paid is hard and, and you have to like face that front on. And if you don't, your substack will never be successful. It's kind of that simple. Like you'll never make enough money to live on it unless you're straight up saying to people, hey, can you please pay for my writing and that, and lots of people aren't comfortable with that. Yeah. I'm not really comfortable, but here we are. Well, what, what, what's the alternative? <laughs> the old, exactly. Yeah. The alternative is back to the old way of living, which seemed like no, no way of living. I actually think it's kind of positive to me as someone who's always been interested in the, the business side of media is like, there's there you're absolutely right. There is a squeamishness that's a you know there in journalists all over the world, and then there's a particular kind of New Zealand squeamishness about it. But if I look at what what it's done for you, just your general like even just you know we're doing this over Zoom, but I can just radiating out of you as a you know I feel like if I could introduce this you to you sort of five <laughs> years ago, you'd be just you wouldn't believe it, and you'd be out of your mind with happiness, which is. It's just really lovely yeah. for me, just on a personal level. But I think it, just on that note, though, I don't think people realise how brutal blogging is. Like, when I started and was just blogging, you not only are you not ever getting paid for these pieces that are going super viral, that are being picked up in news, like, picked up by news media all around the world. Like, all these other people were making money from my writing. I was making no money from my writing. And not only was I not making money from my writing, I was paying because my website kept, um, my WordPress kept crashing and stuff. So I kept having to try and get it back online. It actually costs you money to be a blogger with no, you know, I often say to people when they're like, oh, and now you've sold out and you're charging for your writing. I'm like, you had like five years of reading all my stuff free. Well, and also like these people who are telling you, you know, you've, you've sold out, like what is working for any job is selling out. Yeah, and, and by yeah, the way, I've been a sellout for ages, bro. If you don't, <laughs> if you don't, what's the alternative? Yeah. Um, Actually, we've got to take a quick break just now, but I want to come back and talk a bit about those sort of early days and how just changing the economic basis of what you're essentially doing the same thing, um, how how that ultimately has has led to these these sort of flow on effects and 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 these these sort of two different areas we're straddling. So we'll be back with more from Emily Wright shortly. The Fold is brought to you by O-Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa, with over 4,000 out-of-home advertising sites nationwide across both street furniture and retail centres. I'm super grateful to O-Media for enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. At Zed, we're all about moving with the times. And now it's time to be part of the climate change solution and move on from fossil fuels. As a company providing fuel to people all over the country, we also know we have a real opportunity to lead that change. We're committed to keeping Aotearoa moving by providing the right energy for everyone. We believe that innovation in fuel and how it's used can make a huge difference to our planet. Find out more at z.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. 
Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. We're back now with Emily Wrights and you know, like I said before, as, as someone who's known you through that period, I feel like there was a time when social media loomed incredibly large for you. You felt, you know, you you ran a you had a very big um, presence on on Facebook. You felt a responsibility to uh, to that community, and yet, you know, because you're a very talented writer, you would say things they would context collapse into other communities then you would be dealing with like some really brutal stuff on on social media like do you want to just sort of talk about what your relationship with social media was like at that time um and and how you sort of view it and use it now yeah i mean it was really as you know a really horrid time you know like um Back then, it, there was this assumption that, like, if you have a book and a really big Facebook um, platform or lots of followers or whatever, that you were, like, just living the dream. And it never sat comfortably with me. And I always found it really, really hard because I think a lot of people don't realise that there's no sort of guideline for you writing a dumb thing on the internet and then it blowing up and, you, and that becoming your whole you know, like I wrote one blog post and then that was it that started my career and it never stopped and I never really took a breather and went, is this what I want? And is this what I'm meant to be doing? And it was just like this sort of runaway train. And when those things like I would write something thinking still that it was for my little community of people and then it would be pulled apart and put on these different places. And you know, there was this point where, like, daily I was having, like, you know, sort of 30 to 50 messages, like, private messages that were just, like, I, you know, you're a fucking whore and all this stuff. And it just, like, started to kill me inside. Like, I started to really believe everything that was being said about me. And, um, you know, I had to, like, really, you know, I had a full-on breakdown and everything, and I got through it through the support of my family and, you know, everyone at the spinoff was so great and everything, but we don't often talk about the mental health um, impact on writers. Like when you're an opinion writer, you're often like on your own out there and it's kind of a lonely business and, you know, it's really hard to work out how to protect people who, I, I think it must have been hard for people to look after me because I didn't really protect myself either. I I had this thing of like, if I could just let this person, if they just understood that I'm not a bad person, that I'm not like all I'm trying to do is make people laugh and I might've got this wrong and I'm really sorry, but I'm just trying, you know, I had this idea that I could make people like me and not hate me. And that's just this total pointless thing because I've realized now all this time on that it's, it was never about me. It was about whatever they were going through in their lives. And I was just easy because I was all over their Facebook feed. So it was easy to go, oh yeah, it's all her. She's just, you know, a shitty person. And I think now I have a much healthier um 
you know, I have much better boundaries around like I don't feel the need to reply to every person who contacts me anymore. And I, you know, when I get long essays about how much I suck, I just delete them. I'm just like, oh, well, you got, you got out your words. You'll feel better now. Um, and also like just this week, um, I took a, another break from Instagram. I take breaks fairly regularly now from social media when I'm getting a bit overwhelmed by doom scrolling and stuff. I think I'm just much more aware. And I guess having Substack, the big thing is I know that I've got this income. I no longer think of my work as this sort of nebulous thing. If I have to post funny, witty things on Instagram, I have to, you know, make people feel something on Facebook or whatever weird thing I was going down back then. Now I'm like, no, I deliver three things, (laughs) three things a week. And that's my focus and so my job doesn't feel like this massive thing anymore of it feels more contained and I no longer feel like people own me I'm like you're buying three things you're not buying me you're not owning me and that's been really good for my mental health well that's that's so so great to hear and I do think that that's one of the the, that that sort of clarity of versus the I must be promoting myself everywhere all the time and that is all my job once you're sort of that layer closer to your income, just knowing that all I, all my responsibility, my sole responsibility is this. It's a similar thing for us with members, to be honest, is like you can have a piece that you put up knowing that it um, will, you know, irk some people um, or you interview someone that they, that they know, that you know that some people won't like. But it's like you're, you can be as, as mad as you want, but our server, we have our members, we have, have our clients and, and, that's actually noise and being able to shut that down is kind of, yeah, there's a clarity to that. Um, I mean, so obviously like Substack has, has by and large been this um, really kind of, you know, it, it's changed your life by the sound of things. Um, there was a period there where there was a kind of a sense of contagion where, where people were trying to, you know, bring the sort of platform publisher wars to Substack, which I never personally didn't didn't quite believe in. Like I know that there is all like the platform publisher thing is always nebulous and and tense. But I was wondering because I know that you know a lot of the issues that, that was that have been leveled at Substack at times are things that you're really passionate about. Did that ever give you pause or how did you have you sort of settled on a way to relate to to Substack as as someone you know who is passionate about a bunch of different um, groups kind of rights and so on? Yeah, I have to be honest, I just haven't really seen it to like I haven't had anybody come to me specifically and say, why are you on Substack? I have like, the, I know that there are people on Substack that I wouldn't follow. Like, um, oh, what's this? you know me, how I've constantly never known anything about like politics or anything like that, like Glenn Green, Green, Green or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm pretty sure he's a dick, <laughs> but I don't know. Um, but yeah, like I've kind of always viewed it as I have always my entire time writing been on platforms with people I can't stand like I have I'm still on Facebook despite trying to leave Facebook um and I the only platform I'm stuck at leaving is Twitter and my view is and Twitter used to be a really big driver for traffic like I saw a a difference in that when I went off Twitter but 
for me, every single platform I've been on has been owned by white guys who've made money off my writing, who have mostly been like abhorrent dicks. And I've met Hamish and he is a white guy, but he is a really lovely person who is also a writer and cares about writers. And my thing is, why should I, when I'm finally making money, have to give that up when the abhorrent white guys are just going to keep making money? I just feel like it's constantly on the sort of little people who actually care about you know, um, hate speech and um, transphobia and racism and that type of thing. It's constantly on us to give up our book deals or give up our platform deals or give up our incomes. And it's like, it just doesn't do shit. Like, it just really doesn't do shit. And we're the ones that end up with no income. So I kind of feel like if if anybody said to me, and, and to be fair, nobody has, but if anybody said to me, why are you on Substack when you've got shitty people on there? I'm like... I've written for the New Zealand Herald. There's plenty of shitty people write for the Herald. I've written for like almost every media organisation in New Zealand and there's lots of people I I really can't believe they publish and I'm alongside them. So where do I write? Tell me one place that ethically it's okay for me to write. Just a piece of paper that people knock on your door, you show them the paper (laughs) and they leave. Once you've fully vetted their entire history. (laughs) I mean, because yeah, yeah. you know, and I think the other thing that's because I, I take, totally take all those points. I also think that there's something about there's something kind of I find satisfying about newsletters that is it's a very deliberate act to subscribe or not subscribe. And when you get a Substack from one person, you have zero exposure to the rest of it. There is no algorithm that kind of puts you alongside one another. Like it's just. There's something about the media and the delivery mechanism, the distribution side of it, even the the way that the income is divvied up, that you just don't feel the same sense of being part of some big disgusting soup yeah. like you do on Facebook. And, and I mean, I do want to say, like, because I don't want it to seem glib what I just said before, I know that there's really genuine, like, upset around Substack platforming people, but I just, that's actually why I haven't seen it because there's no algorithm. Like, a lot of people who subscribe to Emily Writes Weekly, it's the only newsletter they subscribe to. And they'll say to me, tell me other subsets to subscribe to and I'll tell them and stuff. But a lot of it is just this really tiny community of like me and David Farrier or David Slack or like these lots of Davids <laughs> with newsletters. Um, like me and all the Davids. And that's kind of the crossover. And the, it's like my... I had recently ran a free like workshop just out of my garage um, with women and non-binary writers and stuff to write for Substack because I'm like, come, I want I want to see more than David's. I love the David's, <laughs> I genuinely do. But I just mean like I want to see more diversity on there and everything. And it's it's like a it still feels like a really new platform and it feels really like blogging in those early days where like if you went to emilywrites.co.nz you didn't know what else was on WordPress you didn't really even know what WordPress was or what other places do you, I don't know no no it, makes, it totally but. makes sense and it feels like that to me like it's, it's become my favorite media consumption method is newsletters both Substack and just other um, newsletters and, and it does it has that feel of you know 
the internet of 10, 15 years ago, where it was just a lot more sort of intimate and community based and didn't require you to sign up to a whole bunch of other things to get that, that one thing that you want. Yeah. And I, I just want to say as well, like when I, one of my very first things, I'm sure I said this to you even, was nobody wants Emily writes in their inbox three times a week. And there are absolutely a lot of people for which that would be a nightmare <laughs> and I salute them. But I have newsletter. I sign up to so many newsletters now. I'm like a newsletter obsessive. It's the only thing and it's it's kind of like there are so many writers where I'm like they write maybe once a week or something and I'm like, please write me every day. Like I never thought I would um, sign up to newsletters that were daily and now I'm like obsessed with daily newsletters like it's totally changed the way I read and consume media and it does feel like those old days of like getting an alert that someone's um, pu- published a blog and like rushing over to read it or yeah so yeah and it kind of knits you together away in a way that the social web sort of increasingly seems to, to pull you apart um, we're almost done but I want to talk about you know the the other aspects of your sort of professional life that this, you know, in some ways has been a, another kind of platform that's enabled you to do that. Um, tell me about the the new book and when it'll be out and, you know, the, the, that sort of events slash speaking thing, which will have been highly disruptive over the past couple of years, but what, what the relationship between those three things is. Yeah, so last year I was actually really lucky because just in the like, tiny gaps between um, COVID-19. I managed to do like 20 shows around New Zealand. We did like from Whangarei to Kurao kind of thing. Um, We went everywhere. We did like 150 people in Kurao and like 200 people in Featherstone and, you know, so um, did this tour and it was so much fun and I really didn't think like who would pay to come and see me and um, my friend Rebecca Kyle um, and I was like it felt really cool and so we did like yeah 20 sold out shows of like 150 people and I loved doing that so much and would love to do more of that obviously with like my kids immune compromised and stuff so we're kind of locked down now but I remain hopeful that I'll be able to tour again and I really feel like the um you know, the touring and the newsletter feed off each other really nicely. Like people who don't know us come to the shows and go, oh, I like them. I'm going to sign up to um, Emily's Substack or they follow the Substack and therefore go to the shows. Um, And that's been really good for me because my play from the first book, Rants in the Dark, my first book turned into a play and it was going gangbusters and selling out everywhere. And then COVID-19 killed it dead. Um, so it has been a big hit on my income. Um, but yeah, I've just finished the book, sent it to the publisher, and I've been like a little goblin in my cave writing it. So I wasn't sure if it was actually any good, but they're happy with it. And I think it's going to come out in like September, maybe. I actually don't know. But... Just in time for Father's Day. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so yeah, just, I don't know. The book will come out when it comes out, um, but it's really good to finally have done that book because I've been, it's been sitting in my brain for a long time. And the book is kind of about this journey of, of being like this person who should not be on the internet who became a person really extremely online and 
now where I'm at now, which is a mostly sane person who can earn a living. So, yeah. oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> that's basically all we've been talking about. I'm, I'm just honestly so thrilled that you're in that place. And, uh, yeah, strongly recommend that uh, anyone listening, if you're curious, you like Emily, you should be signed up to, to her Substack. So look that up. Um, really great to have you on on, on the fold, Emily. And uh, yeah, just just so so happy that it's that it's all worked out. Yeah, so great. I'm so stoked to be on a podcast that isn't about breastfeeding. <laughs> like I'm just yeah, no tit talk whatsoever. <laughs> I'm stoked. Awesome. Thanks, Duncan. That was Emily Wright's On The Fold with thanks to Vodafone. Uh, I also want to thank Tahir Butler, who is once again editing and recording his way through the chaos of of Omicron and remote records and so on. Uh, Love your work, bro. Uh, Jane Yee, who is doing the same, has sequestered herself away from Tahir to make sure that if one of them goes down, they don't both go down. the spin-off podcast network is small, but it's um, it's very mighty and efficient. And none of that would be possible uh, without the support of the spin-off members, who I also want to thank. Times like this, we just, every day, we're so grateful for the support of the spin-off members. So um, please join up if you can. And if you can't, or even if you can, one thing you can do to help the fold uh, grow is even just chucking a, a star rating on Spotify or Apple um, it's, it's a big help. Yeah, this was The Fold. Thanks a lot. That was The Fold, brought to you by our partners at O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Huge thanks to O Media for sponsoring this episode of The Fold and enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Kia ora e tewi, te Ahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz/donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.